recording. All right, guys, welcome to our first um, Zoom podcast. And we have uh, Chris Heaney here again, reporting in from Santa Barbara. Um, today, we are going to be discussing the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, we all listened to the audiobook and uh, wanted to kind of give you guys some takeaways and um, just kind of discuss it, see where it goes. So, um, either of you guys want to say? Uh, welcome back to our podcast and thanks for um, coming on our podcast again, Chris. Yeah, excited to be here. So, um, yeah, so first a brief summary of the book. So um, basically this, this book was written in, it was in the 90s, right? It's like 95, 99, something. Um, and the book kind of starts off as a story. And Robert tells about his uh, like biological father, who he refers to in the book as poor dad. Um, and then he has a friend named Mike whose dad is an entrepreneur and um, kind of mentors Robert and Mike, and he's referred to as rich dad. And so the book, um, he just talks about growing up. And like I said, it's, it's kind of a story at the beginning. And um, basically he compares a lot of um, the, the differences in the rich dad and poor dad's, you know, behaviors, thoughts, and a, a kind of attitudes and advice. Um, and, um, and did you add that the poor dad is actually the very educated dad? Yes. The rich dad is. Good point. So the poor dad is, I think he's a professor, um, right? And he has like his PhD. So he's not like, one of the interesting things in the book is it's poor and rich is more of like a mindset and he kind of gets into that. Um, but yeah, so basically the book goes through that story and then it gives kind of some actionable steps and some, uh, you know, various anecdotes about people who have either taken this advice or not taken the advice. And, and it's kind of a story of how Robert uh, creates his own empire. And, um, and, and the like book that. makes you experience a lot of cognitive dissonance, um, especially if you're not super financially literate, because you're like, oh, crap, everything I've learned. He's like, he he talks about things that you felt before, but you've never really spoken them out loud. So you go through this like thing where you're like, wow, society really has set us all up to fail. <laughs> That's what I experienced anyway. Yeah. How about you? Uh, yeah, I think it was, it's really about this dichotomy of two different ways of thinking about money um, and wealth and, uh, kind of using the examples of the rich dad and poor dad as a, um, to kind of show what those two philosophies look like in life. Um, and I thought it was super interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely one of those books that like kind of changes the way you look at life forever <laughs> for me, at least. It might be good to explain what the rich dad and the poor dad philosophies are. Um, it might be hard into yeah. a word, but can, can you would you be best it? at that. Yeah. Can you go into that a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> I can, yeah, I can take a shot at it. Um, I think the poor dad, uh, I guess he, um, he gives like a few different principles uh, in the book. Uh, one of them being that the poor and middle class work for money, the rich have money work for them. Um, and that kind of echoes throughout the book. And I think he, work hard, uh, save, borrow, pay excessive taxes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, I think the way the poor dad thinks is um, takes less, less responsibility for his own wealth um, and doesn't um, put the time in to understand how money works, where the rich dad has a value of being um, kind of self-reliant. And from that kind of the, the, puts the onus on himself to figure out how he can accumulate wealth and then kind of all the other uh, principles kind of fall out of that, right? Once you put the onus on yourself to um, be wealthy and self-sufficient, you need to figure out how money works, 
how to accumulate it um, and so forth so that uh, you can become independent. Um, whereas the kind of poor dad's philosophy, I don't think is as amenable to that. Um, and he kind of, he kind of, I don't know if he directly says it, but like uh, being a part of like a PhD and like a professor is mm. kind of has a less of a value on being independent. And so never really takes the time to understand how money works. Yeah. And the and poor dad preaches basically relying on a large institution. Right. And like, like getting an education so you can work at a good company and being loyal to the company so you can have health benefits and a pension plan more or less. Right. Mm -hmm. That's um, that work hard, save, borrow, pay excessive taxes. Right. And then and um, like a traditional education, like get a degree and, and focus. I thought it was really interesting. The poor dad was saying like, find your, niche and focus only in that and your expertise and the rich dad actually um which you would think like society really does tell us like find your expertise you know go to college and get a master's in this get your doctorate in this um whereas the the rich dad was like actually go and work all of these jobs that your pride tells you you're too good for, like, you know, sales or that you're scared of sales. Um, he was a pilot. He was all of these different jobs. Like I could see in my life where being a waitress and then working retail and then like my job now negotiating with influencers, I've learned all of these little skills that are completely different that help me with where I am today. And a lot of people I think have this philosophy, like um, keep your price high and don't work any of these other jobs. But sometimes those jobs give you the skills you need. Like Naval says, like, keep your price high. And, you know, so it's it kind of like played with my mind there. It's like, wait, so all these jobs I worked were for good reason. What did you think of that? Um, I think it. Uh, I think it's an interesting point. Like, do you try to only get good at one thing, or do you like really good at one thing, or uh, maybe slightly less good at multiple things? Um, and those are kind of like different uh, approaches. So. Uh, you could try to be like the best engineer or you could try to be an okay engineer and good at sales as well. And like, what's, what's the better approach? Um, actually in uh, the Naval kind of uh, monologue, he talks about, uh, I think he got this from Scott Adams that you should actually just try to be like good at multiple things instead of actually trying to be the best at one thing. Cause it's easier to be, you know, an okay engineer and an okay salesperson than it is to be the best engineer in the world. Um, yeah. So there may be, maybe kind of like you're saying, like it, there is, even though Naval is saying, you know, price your time super expensive, I think there's something to be said about getting good at a lot of things or, mm -hmm. yeah. And he uses an example of this journalist that was interviewing him and she complained to him. She was like, you know, you have this best-selling book and everyone tells me I'm a great writer, but um, my books don't go go anywhere that I write like and he was like he mentioned to her that she should learn take a sales course or something and she was just so um, offended by that because she was like no I am a writer I hate sales I would never stoop down to that level you know like I'm this intellectual artist <laughs> That's yeah. kind of like the air she had. Yeah, and like he goes, well, then you'll never be a best selling author like me because you have to learn to sell. I'm not the best writing author. I'm the best <laughs> selling author. And that was like one of my favorite points in the book. Like sometimes you have to put your pride and your ego away and you're like, oh yeah, that's how I like achieve my dreams, you know? Yeah, I really like that little excerpt too. And actually reminded me when we were listening, when I was listening to it of the Scott Adams, like if you're in the top 75% of writing and the top 75% of sales, then you can become an independent author. But if you just want to be a writer, you have to be the top 99% writer. And that's way harder than being top 75. Yeah. 
percent uh rider yeah. um and but yeah to do that you might need to swallow your pride and not just be like i'm only gonna write you know um mm -hmm. which i do think comes back to like the main point of the book is like you you need to figure out how to be self-sufficient and independent um, yeah. and then work backwards from that and that's yeah. another point that he has is you always have a he said rich people have a board of people that are smarter than them so um when you look at company owners you know they're mark they hire people that are really good at marketing if they don't know how to do the marketing um and so having those people in your life he says you know you should always have like a legal team that you pay really well and he has a broker that he pays really well for how he makes his money and I thought that that was interesting as well. So I wanted to kind of like get, ask each of you guys, um, what's one key takeaway that, that maybe, you know, most likely is something new to you. Right. Um, so how about, how about you go first? Um, one of the things that was new to me, um, probably just the, like the top, I mean, I already kind of knew this because I had an LLC, but just about the tax loopholes and how it just really, I mean, I see my paycheck go like 50% to my taxes, but it really like drove that home to me that like these loopholes are what people use. And if you don't use those, you're really never going to get rich. How about you, Chris? Uh, I think the thing that was uh, most salient about the book or while I was listening was um, in combination with just the climate we're living in where you're hearing about the government spending more money and the Fed printing more money. Um, and then the combination with uh, the main principle, which is like uh, wealthy people make their money work for them. I thought uh, it just felt very important to me that I figure out how to not let like the cash that I do have lose all its value. Um, yeah. And so when he is a big proponent of like, you know, given the money you have, you should be, that should be working for you. And I think when you're in an environment, an inflationary environment like we're in now, that's even more important because if you don't have your cash working for you, it's actually losing value, which is really crazy. And I don't think only financially literate people really understand that, you know, every day a dollar is worth less. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was something that was just really top of mind while I was listening to the book. Yeah. What about you, Sam? Um, for me, I, I, I liked um, how he described the difference between assets and liabilities and, and um, you know, when you look at your asset column, like being kind of brutally honest with what it's actually worth in the case that, you know, you, you know, shit hits the fan and you need to liquidate your assets to pay your mortgage or pay your bills. Um, how much money do you actually have? And I just, Cause I, cause I've been doing that for a while. Like my dad is really big on doing cash flow charts and stuff. And so I've in my budget, I always have um, assets and liabilities and I have like my car in there. Right. And you, Shane, you pointed out to me like, well, your car is actually kind of more a liability, which is what he talks about in the book. Like most like quote unquote poor people, you know, maybe people we'd consider more middle-class actually, but he would consider poor by their mindset would say their house is their biggest asset in their car, right? Like maybe they have a $20,000 car and a, you know, $500,000 house, but the house for most people isn't paid off. So they're, they have, they're actually, it's actually, they're hugely in debt for the house. And if your and, refrigerator breaks right. or something, you're, you need to replace your roof. Cause those aren't like he, by his definition, those aren't making you any money. So they're not an asset. Like they're not a true asset. Right. I, I, tell me if I'm mistaken guys, but doesn't he say that like an asset, a real asset is making you passive income. Otherwise it's yeah. not an asset basically. Yeah. yeah. He is very, feels very strongly that a house isn't like a true asset. 
But I would say that maybe if you Airbnb'd your home or you were an Uber driver, you could maybe argue that your house and your car is more of an asset. But unless yeah. you're really doing that, then no, it's more of a liability. There's more on the line of risk that it could end up costing you than really making you, especially in a bad market where like no one's buying houses. I think um, on the house real estate front too, it's like a bit of it's a criticism of like the take a mortgage out and pay, pay off um, this mortgage over time. Like that's a liability, especially if you take a mortgage out on a house that's like outside of your standard of living. And he's like, that's not an asset, that's debt, right? Versus if you own a house and you're renting it out, that's an asset. Right. Um, and he's kind of critiquing that just like almost that aspect of the American dream that um, you take out a mortgage and then now you have an asset. Well, until you've paid off the debt, you actually don't have an asset. It's, it's a liability. Right. Um, and which even I if think is interesting. Even if it's paid off, wouldn't it technically be a small liability because you have property tax and upkeep? I mean, like, like you need to have a place to live, obviously, but mm -hmm. is that, yeah. am I wrong in saying that? Unless you're um, like renting it out, isn't it still by his definition? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I think, yeah, if it's not making money and you're paying taxes on it, uh, but, but like you could sell, if you, if you own your house outright, you could sell mm -hmm. it if shit hit the fan and, and have that cash. But I guess his point is like that you'd have to pay capital gains on the, the sale of your house. You also like Shane, he pointed out, like if it's a bad housing market and, and everyone's trying to sell their house, the you price end up is way losing lower. money on the house. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is interesting because you're kind of taught that you should buy a house and that's like the, you know, fiscally responsible thing to do. Um, but we're, I don't know, we're millennials. So uh, housing prices are super expensive. And so you're going to take out a big mortgage to get a house or should you rent and then take your, basically take any positive cash flow you have, put it in stocks, put it in other investments. Um, yeah. I think his advice would be that, I mean, you definitely shouldn't take out a big mortgage to get a house. Um, right. Yeah. Like it's hard to say a universal thing, but I think that's what he would say. I would say, right? I, mean, I think he would say, yeah, invest in yourself before you invest in this house mm -hmm. just because you're checking off a box like, Oh, I'm, you know, doing this thing. Cause I, cause everyone's yeah. doing it. <laughs> also it's interesting with the housing, uh, the whole housing piece. Cause when that became the predominant, you know, advice narrative in America is post-World War II when housing prices are super cheap and we entered this kind of phase where uh, interest rates are, are really low um, and the government started subsidizing uh, house, like home purchases with like the GI Bill. So when that first started, it was a great deal to like get a mortgage and get a cheap house. And it's almost like stacked like a pyramid scheme which has like, maybe it's not necessarily a pyramid scheme, but each generation is taking out bigger and bigger mortgages to play the game that when it started was a really good deal, right? So if you're a boomer and you take out a mortgage for a cheap house, then like that's not that big, big of a burden. But for us, for me to take out a mortgage on a house in Santa Barbara, that'd be crazy. Like it would take me forever to pay that off, right? So we're like, millennials are kind of getting the short end of this, this game that's been being playing out for like, that's interesting. You know, 80 years now. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I'm not yeah. very bullish on that. <laughs> it really made me feel better because <laughs> I scroll down my Instagram and I see that everybody's getting married and pregnant and buying their house. And I'm like, well, this makes me feel better about uh Baby's a that. liability. That's what I told <laughs> you. That's too big a liability. My boy Rob told me. <laughs> yeah but yeah yeah it is it's interesting because a lot of times i've had friends go oh you're you know you're paying rent you're just paying someone else's mortgage and you're based you're wasting your money so, and it's really not that simple like it, like i said it's hard to say universally everyone should do this or that but like like chris pointed out like let's say my rent is 500 or you know my living expense about 500 a month um, even if a mortgage would be the same, 
you know, there's other costs that go along with, ha with, with having a house. And plus the down payment that I would have to put to get the mortgage could be invested to earn passive income. Mm -hmm. And so like what it, what it, what it makes me feel like the, is the right path is, is building out that asset column to the point where you don't have to rely on, you know, what's earned income. Um, and so that, and so that's a big point that we should probably say too, is like, he talks about earned versus passive income and how passive income is taxed less, um, you know, in addition to there being like a lot of other benefits of it. And I, and I was watching some videos before this and um, somebody brought up Trump because in 2016 is interesting to talk about now because, you know, it just was election day, but in 2016, it was a big deal. And, and, and Hillary Clinton was going, well, this guy doesn't pay taxes, blah, blah, blah. And, um, I think there was a, I don't have the exact numbers, but they found his 2005, um, tax filings and he paid like 24% and it was, he earned like 150 million, but he paid like 24% on it. Um, where if that was earned, <clears throat> earned income, he would pay what, like 50% or yeah. 40, 40% federal just for federal. Um, and the reason for that was because it was largely passive income. It was, it was capital gains, stocks, <clears throat> you know, and then that 150 million, he's, he's actually making a lot more money than that, but he's able to write a lot. He's able to write it off on his taxes because of his business expenses. Um, and so it's something that I actually hear a lot with my job, you know, as in IT recruiting, I'll try to recruit someone like Chris, right. And a lot of these guys, they work uh, on 1099. So they have their own corporation. So that he, you know, Chris might have Chris Heaney corporation and he's working just like everyone else working 40 hours a week at a company, but then Chris can write off everything as part of his corporation's costs. So even though Chris has to buy his own insurance, which a lot of people go, Oh man, I, insurance is so expensive. I have to buy it myself, but also your taxable income is going to be so low because you're writing off your computer, your, I mean, your, your office, your, supplies you're your running host, off mileage your hotel to the trips that if you're working from your hotel yeah copious amounts of coffee that yeah I, co <laughs> I was like, i was gonna say that but i was like in my head i was like can you write you probably can't <laughs> but like can I mean, you imagine if you could write off the mileage for your commute i mean that's a lot of money you know the mileage you're putting on your car the gas everything so um yeah well, it's interesting like uh you know this whole like prop 22 in california about whether they can keep treating Uber drivers and Lyft drivers as right. contractors. Um, there's kind of like one tension where, you know, some people want to be contractors and that's kind of like, uh, they want to be responsible for all their own expenses. And like, they get into kind of these tax, like they get into advantageous like tax scenarios. And then there's another tension where uh, the government wants everyone to be employee because they kind of can regulate all the rules about being an employee and what the company has to pay. And it also, uh, if everyone's an employee, um, they can have, they can basically reason better about like what insurance everyone's going to have. And so you kind of see like, we can, we could be in a world where everyone's a contractor, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. that could be the future or we could be in a future where, you know, everyone needs to be an employee. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see where that'll go. Yeah, and I remember a comedian that's a writer and she has a bunch of freelance friends and she was, I mean, that proposition was put in place to protect them, but a lot of freelancers ended up, it really hurt them because they could only take so many hours of freelance work and um, things like that. Have, have you heard that side of it with California specifically? Uh, no, I, I actually didn't get super deep into it, except that, um, all the Uber drivers were telling me to say yes to Prop 22. Uh, oh, they were saying yes. Oh, they want it? Yeah. They, or they the ones I drove the, with. The ones and, you talked to wanted to be employees? No, no, no. Yes to Prop 22 meant that. Oh, that they, that they would be contractors. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that mm, a lot of that proposition was or I guess the law they have now was put in place to protect them and then it ended up hurting them. And so now people want to change it. it sounds yeah. Like the case. Basically by making 
the contractors, employees, it's going to be way more expensive for Uber and Lyft to do business, which means they would have, they're potentially going to leave California. Like it wasn't going to be untenable to do business. So it's kind of one of those like unintended consequences by making the employment too expensive. Like the people actually lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I wanted to kind of switch, uh, switch route here and um, I'll start with asking you, but I wanted to each discuss how the advice in the book um, compares with the advice we got from our own dads. Um, so Shani, why don't, why don't you kind of say what that looks like? Um, big Marty B. My dad Marty and Belshaw. I don't talk that much about finances, Philly, but I feel like it's more my mom. Um, my mom really wanted me to get a job with benefits, 401k, you know, good health insurance, those type of things. So I really saw, you know, that aspect of my mom in the book where I was like, because before I had the job I had now, I actually was a personal trainer and I had an LLC and she was like, you can't work that job. You won't have benefits. You won't have health insurance. And now after reading this, I'm like, well, maybe I would be richer if I (laughs) would have kept my LLC. You know what I mean? Um, But I see both, you know, sides to it, obviously. Um, But my dad, he um, is a farmer. And so I have seen him, you know, he has his own company where he would write off taxes and kind of do the... um, the order of like you pay yourself first and then you spend and then you pay taxes. Whereas the poor dad was like pay taxes and then um, you spend with what's left over. So I saw the, some aspects of the rich dad in my dad just by watching him and listening to him talk about some things. But so I saw a little bit of both in my family. How about you? you, Chris? Um, yeah, my dad's a small business owner. So I think um, a lot of the lessons about, uh, you know, being more concerned about what you keep than what you make. Um, definitely always were very, like, was a lesson that he taught me. And I think I tried to keep my standard of living low so that if as I like, I can basically save money over time. So that's always been um, something he kind of passed on to me. I think um, my parents are a little more risk adverse with um, their savings and money. So I've never gone as deep on the investing um, and exactly like, how do you take the money you save and then make it work for you? Um, So that's something I'm kind of trying to explore more. I mean, my, my mom definitely has something like you should put your money in the 401k, et cetera, um, which is kind of like your typical advice. Um, but now I'm starting to like kind of branch out and figure out, you know, other investment options. Yeah. My mom really likes John Ramsey. Do either your Dave parents Ramsey. or Dave Ramsey. Not John no, Ramsey. John Ramsey was like, a, John Ramsey was a murderer in my town. I think <laughs> that name messed up, but yeah, Dave Ramsey, which he's all like, make sure you like he's pretty much like buy your car and cash like we he helps people like get out of debt and get more financially stable and you know it, mm-hmm. it's interesting because his ideas clash a lot with robert kiyosaki's i think like a little bit but then they're still both yeah maybe not clash a lot other similar things. on certain things i would say they're fundamentally disagree like because dave ramsey his advice is all about getting out of debt as soon as you can um, and we watched that interview with Robert Kiyosaki where he, and he didn't talk about this too much in the book, but he, where he basically talked about how, how debt is a great thing to leverage. And when you borrow money, um, you know, you don't pay taxes on that cash that you get and you can use that cash to create more um, assets or, you know, to buy more assets, create more passive income. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. Robert but, was wild in, in this interview. Yeah. He's, like, <laughs> done. He's, he's, he's he does quite, not hold back anymore. He's Let's kind of just rude say that. Guy. It's pretty funny. Um, but um, with, I, I wanted to say with, uh, 
I'm, I'm kind of like you. Rome, uh, Rome. What was that country? Rome? I was uh, Hungary or something. Um, Romania. Romania, um, yeah. My parents were kind of like yours, Shaney, um, and I guess Chris too. Like certain parts of the rich dad advice were very, you know, my dad gave the same advice. But I think it, I think it's like a balanced approach because, you know, it might seem like this book that this guy is saying, like, don't go to college, don't get a job that pays you benefits. And like, and that's not what he's saying, right? Like, like, for a lot of people, that's how you have to start out. And it's a really good way to start out. But that shouldn't be the focus. Um, And I think that that my dad definitely passed it on to me where it's like, my dad gave me a lot of advice about networking and getting a job experience and finishing my degree and getting, you know, going to a good school, which would be like poor dad advice. Right. But he also gave me a lot of advice about cash flow and, um, you know, creating intellectual property. My dad's like a serial entrepreneur. So, I mean, and your dad actually has read this book, right? Yeah, my dad has. Um, he said he read it a while ago, I think probably when it came out, but yeah, there was definitely some similarities, you know, um, like for, like it was clear to me growing up that the focus was never like just to get a job. And that's like the end game, you know, that that's like, like for me right now, I want to live on my own. I want to, you know, get out of debt, build some, um, savings like that. That's a good step to do that, but that that's not like my life goal. Like I haven't achieved my life goal by graduating college and having a good job. You know, I I always kind of knew that. So, um, yeah. It made me understand my parents a bit more because they have gone through the real world. So they knew when I was all like, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get so rich from college. You know, (laughs) they were like, they seemed so like, almost negative about college when I was going like, ah, just go to the community college across the street, live with us, save your money. And now I understand why they were that way because they know all of this kind of from life. And they were like, don't, you know, go get an expensive apartment in the city that you can barely like save anything to invest in other things, you know? So I kind of understand them a bit more on why they almost seemed like negative about life. (laughs) What's interesting. We were talking about it yesterday with, um, with a couple of people at this party and like, I, you know, I don't remember my dad ever like explicitly saying this, but it seems like he understood this. And, you know, I've heard Robert didn't talk about this in the book, but I've heard other people talk about this, how like rich people, will send their kids to good schools, not because they have great professors, but because they'll meet other kids that will be successful and that they'll build a network of people who are going to start businesses and going to be in the government and going to own companies. And look, look for me, looking back, like that's definitely the case with college is like the, the, the best thing I got from college is friends like Chris, you know, and, and, um, and like the, the, those relationships and like the ideas that we bounce off each other and, you know, the few people that we keep in touch with, I think are really valuable. Um, but which again, it's not really talked about in the book, but I think it's weird because, you know, my little brother's in college right now. And because of the cove, he, uh, he's not, he can't really, it's hard to meet friends, you know, he's doing everything on zoom and stuff. And I feel like that they're missing out a lot on, the, the, the best benefit of college, in my opinion, like the network, uh, the networking. So, yeah, so, so. it's crazy that they have to pay full price and not get that part of it. Yeah. Cause all the factual information is on the internet. So <laughs> yeah, literally all the classes are on the internet. So yeah. Yeah. This book kind of made me want to tell my brother, like, don't go to college, just read this book and do everything he says. And yeah, I told my sister she didn't need to finish college. She should just like write a book and like get into design and just start making money on the internet. But parents didn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) So um, 
actually this good segue the one of the last things i wanted to bring up was like how um probably the most important thing how each of us plans on implementing like like what action we're you know inspired to take from the book if if any i mean maybe it's hey i was already doing this but um yeah is there any like actionable steps shaney that that, that you see yourself doing yeah so um you know how he told the story about like when he was a little kid and he started this library of comic books mm -hmm. so i actually had a business idea which i won't say on here so that no one steals it because you know of course someone's going to steal my business idea right <laughs> um <laughs> but it was very similar to that as in it's like a baby business that wouldn't take me a lot of work and it could be very small and i like how he started there and he said something it was like People think that you have to have money to make money, but that's not, I mean, technically you do kind of, but you have to have a very little amount of money and you have to have a good idea to, to make a little money, to then take that money, put it in something, make a little bit more. It doesn't always have to be like, you have to have $20,000 to invest in crypto or in some stock or new company and take this like everyone's always chasing this big, crazy deal that they think is going to be the next thing. And that's not necessarily the best approach to more money. So I really want to take that and also just increase my financial literacy, because if this book did anything, it just taught me that I really am financially illiterate. Um, <laughs> and so I, I'm going to actually buy his games and play them with Sam. Um, oh, and yeah. try to learn everything. That's a cool thing to that I can too, that he makes board games that aim to teach you about cash flow and building assets. So yeah. And he has a professional version as well, because I've always thought it would be cool to someday own a quadplex or a duplex like I live in now and then rent live in one side and rent out the other sides. Um, so yeah. just things like that. But um, what about you, Chris? Um, I think the big thing for me is yeah, trying to improve my financial literacy. Um, and I think that happens over time by actually playing the game. Like, I think that's kind of a tangent, but the way you learn is by like participating, getting feedback um, and adapting to that feedback. So with respect to financial literacy, I think that means taking the time and the money you have and investing it and, you know, making mistakes, but learning from that and over time building up those skills and financial literacy. So um, I'm just trying to more actively kind of invest instead of just like holding money in cash. And that also um, kind of dovetails with the, the fear of the inflation Armageddon coming. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, just like kind of being an adult and playing the game and, uh, taking responsibility for my finances. And I'm still all for investing in crypto. Like I want to invest in crypto after our podcast. I didn't mean to like down that in what I just said. Uh, I'm very, I'm very uh, beaten up by your remark. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, He's bullish. I'm, bullish. <laughs> I'm a bull. I'm a crypto bull, bull, bull. <laughs> um, bull. I wanted to ask you, I'll let you in one second, but I wanted to, um add to that do you think that you would ever do any of the real estate stuff that he does like foreclosures like buying foreclosure places or is that side of it not interest you at all um i mean i'm just like uh i i could see myself being interested in that in the long run right now i think i'm like you know i'm a software engineer and like that's kind of what i understand and spend my time thinking about and i think that's why i've been drawn to uh, cryptocurrencies recently, but, and so I think there's something about something to be said about investing in stuff that you feel like, you know, and are passionate about. And so I don't know if I'm as passionate about real estate right now, but I think, um, people, if you are, I think that that's uh, really positive. Like one of my friends, uh, she just like renovated a house and sold it and loves and is into that type of stuff. So I think there's something, there's a way to like kind of mix, your finances with your interest so that yes. 
you kind of this kind of this comes back to how we ended the last podcast but you want to like make your work look like play and like if you just love like neighborhood or make your and culture wait, make your work look like play yeah yeah or wait isn't it reverse <laughs> make your play look like work yeah uh, yeah you you want your work to be play Essentially. yeah you want yeah. your work to be but play. to you but to other people it looks like work yeah Right, Because right, right. all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a broke boy. <laughs> broke boy. How Poor are, boy. What are you going to take from this? Isn't that a sandwich? Po' boy? In Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, uh, I mean, kind of the same. Like, yeah, just for, for me, for me, the big thing is um, the, the education, which I think both you guys said, you know, because because I'm I'm looking back here and he had at the end of the book he gives ten steps to awaken the genius right awaken the financial genius and the step two he said you make daily choices um, and in that step he talks about investing first in education which I which I found good because at that point in the book I was going well, what am I supposed to do what do I invest in you know do I buy as much Bitcoin as I can right now do I buy as much as many stocks or do I try to buy a house and flip it but he said invest in education and so that's kind of my plan and and i think um that you and i discussed this and and you know you guys chris kind of brought it up right now too is like you know obviously robert kiyosaki is a huge fan of like finding these crazy real estate deals um but i kind of go back to like naval where he talks about building specific knowledge and and that the best way to do that is just it, it, it you know, be yourself. Like you, you have specific knowledge of, of your own interests and you can create a way to make money from that. And kind of, I like where some of their philosophies intersect, you know, that which is about creating assets, creating intellectual property, um, passive income in that way. And so for me, I've been thinking about, um, you know, like right now I'm, I'm really into nutrition and, and cooking and, like, how could I, like, it would be pretty simple to just make, we were talking about this, like to make like a, a, a cookbook and sell it as a PDF for like $5 or, or whatever, or come up with a workout plan eventually or something like that. And, um, you know, making content is something I love doing and I'm, and I'm learning more about how to do it better. And, and that itself is creating assets, right? It's, it's creating a brand and a channel that can make you money over time. So, um, really, I guess, to sum it up, like this, the the step I want to take is to really double down on spending my money on assets. So um, I, I'm, I'm like a full, you know, fully um, part of the consumerist culture that we have. Like, it's hard for me to not want a nicer car, a nicer suit, shoes, the new Apple watch, the new iPhone. And so I, I want to just put a focus more on the extra cash that I have investing it. And, and that doesn't like, like we're all kind of saying, right. It's like, that could be investing in a Bitcoin that could be um, promoting my YouTube channel. That could be whatever. I mean, it could be creating merch to sell, you know? So um, that's, that's kind of what I've been thinking about. And, you know, I really took, um, I wanted to add this, like I really took away from it because I, that is one thing rooted in me because I come from like a Midwest small town is that like hard work, like the hard worker always wins. Right. And this book really made me reframe that because I have worked really hard throughout my life and I don't have a whole lot to show for it. And it, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, in the form of assets, I don't have a whole lot to show for it. And so, because I mean, I literally used to be the type of person that I worked for this fashion company and I, I would get so obsessed with like, I want to like bring this fashion company up and like get them making a lot of money, right? And I would come in at nine and stay till like 11 at night like working, barely get a lunch break. And I've 
really realized that sometimes he, I mean, this is all about like working smarter instead of harder. Right. So if you make your money work for you, yes, learning these tax loopholes and like learning financial literacy is not really something I'm super interested in. I would rather learn about makeup and <laughs> um, fashion and like stuff like that. But if I do get financially literate or at least hire people to help me get financially literate um, or like on my team, you know, someday, um, then I will have more time. And he mentions playing golf. You know, he plays golf. So I'll have more time to do the things I love, um, which because I ended this book and I was like, it, it feels heavy on your shoulders. Like, oh, there's so much for me to learn. You know, it seems never ending now. But at the same time, it's like, but once you learn those things and you learn to play a little bit smarter, you have so much more room and time for these other things that you love. Yeah, I agree. I think it's scary in the beginning to kind of take that responsibility. But then it's also like, I don't know, it's... Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. You're like, yeah, like, let's, let's go, life. Yeah. I'm not just like a little kid being told what to do by the teacher. You know, yeah. like, I'm going yeah. to figure this out. And I think my opinion is we need more of that, you know, from our generation. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's, let's fucking do something, you know? The, yeah. the world's open-ended, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I agree. Yeah, and more confidence in yourself. And he talks about acting bold, like all the rich are bold. Yes. So you can be super creative. You can be um, really intellectual and you can have all these really great skills. But if you're too scared to actually put yourself out there and do something about it, um, if I was like not bold at all, I wouldn't even be on this podcast, right? So it's like, tapping yeah. into that everybody he says everybody has boldness and everybody has the like oh i'm tired i want to go on <laughs> the cuck. it's called the inner cuck <laughs> <laughs> that's sammy's favorite word um so yeah if you can tap into that boldness and i really liked what he said too about you know tapping into you know when he's negotiating he taps into trump when he's which now that's a whole controversial statement but back when he wrote this it's not you know when he's doing something else he's do you remember the other people uh, when he's investing he he channels warren buffett mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he taps into these people and i think we don't like our generation doesn't really do that we we have idols like oh i love justin bieber but we don't really have these other idols that we like tap into in certain aspects of our life do you have any idols that you kind of try to channel sometimes when you're doing things something that's uncomfortable uh hmm that's interesting uh (laughs) i don't know if i have idols like oh i'm gonna do this like this person i do I do have like, um, I have an imaginary cohort of people like I compare myself to. I'm like, okay, well, what would like Benjamin Franklin do? Or um, what would like Steve Jobs do? And then I'm like, well, if they would, they wouldn't be doing this, like, you know, they wouldn't be so meek. They would, they would push themselves. So I guess that, I guess that is what you're saying. Yeah. So I have my imaginary cohort uh, of people like that I, that I try to compare myself to, to hold myself to a high bar. Like, I, I, so he talks, I'm really glad you wrote this up, Shani, because he talks about in the book, like how when you're kids, it, you know, I remember like going out on my little like driveway basketball hoop and like trying to dribble like Allen Iverson or like shoot a fadeaway like Kobe or shoot a bank shot like Tim Duncan. I remember always doing that, you know? And um, and then you kind of lose that as you, as you get older and that it's like, you know, I found it kind of cool that he was like encouraging that because sometimes I find myself doing that at work where, you know, there's guys I work with who are like way better salesmen than me. And I'll like literally say something almost verbatim that I've heard them say in a similar situation. And it, and I'm almost like, well, am I copying them? Like, is that whack? But he's like a huge fan of that, right? Like channeling these people who are better than you and looking up to them. So I thought that was cool. Cause I do that when I'm skateboarding, like I skateboard, I, I can like picture my favorite skater, like the way he would land a trick, you know? Um, but doing that in, in life, I think is like a powerful, like 
heuristic to kind of approach uh, a challenge. Uh, so. And I think they talked about that in that podcast with that they were like loving on Naval. Um, yeah. We are a generation that feels like we have this imposter syndrome because we're watching everyone else be successful on all these social media platforms. And I know you don't really have an Instagram and stuff, but that you're, you're probably not like comparing yourself too much to all these people on social media, but that's kind of what our generation feels like when they try to do something that they love, they feel like an imposter. And I, that's also why I like this. Cause it's like, it's totally normal to feel like an imposter, mm -hmm. but you have to tap into these different people to find confidence in those areas, because if you never do it, you're never going to get better. Yeah. And I wanted to also mention the overlap between kind of some of Naval's philosophy um, with what you mentioned about being bold. And that's basically the accountability that he talks about, right? Putting your name on the line. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's cool where these over, where these intersect. I mean, yeah. yeah. A quote I like is uh, fortune favors the bold. Um, I don't even know if that's the quote, but it came to mind right now. Uh, and I like I like it because, uh, well, in this case, you know, fortune's like good luck. And I think that's the, uh, like, original meaning of the word. But now fortune obviously means wealth. And so you kind of get the double the double meaning there. Yeah. Um, and like you're saying, like, the, the wealthy people you know are, are bold. The fortune favors the bold. So yeah, I like that. Our, our CEO, he always talks about, like, because in our business, it's a lot of luck. And he goes... Well, let me tell you guys, the guy, the people who get the luckiest are working the hardest. <laughs> like they get the most lucky. It just, he's like, oh, it's just so happens. It seems like the people who get the most lucky are working the hardest. And I was like, he has a point. That's kind of the, the type of luck that Naval talks about where it's like, you're stirring the pot so many times that you're going to yeah. get lucky eventually because you're just putting in so much activity. Um, but yeah, yeah, I digress. We, we should probably, we probably have a good discussion about the, uh, you know, Naval's, Naval Manak and the, the tweet storm, right? Like that would be kind of cool to discuss too. Maybe we go through the Naval Manak or whatever it's called. Yeah. Sam also had another book that he would love to do a book club on. And I started listening to it. It's called Atomic Habits. Who's it by? James Clear. James Clear. Has he told you about it yet? He texted me approaching the oh. idea. So okay. maybe awesome. we'll get into that next. Yeah. Cool. Well, any closing remarks, guys? Um, don't keep your money in cash the government's btc <laughs> it's like it, it's like a leaky faucet you know like yeah. every day it drips a little bit you know like, oh, it's not a big deal but then next thing you know your water bottle your water bill is high as fuck right <laughs> so that's a good image yeah <laughs> so, yeah and invest in yourself yeah and your knowledge yeah so hopefully Anyone still watching at this point, uh, you found this helpful. Thank you for watching. Chris, thank you for uh, joining us again. Can we pause for presence. a screenshot real quick, like of us all smiling real quick? Well, we could just, we could, we could cut it, right? And then do that. <laughs> Here, do this, Sam. Sweet. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Bye. Talk to you later, brother. Peace.